During times in this episode, there is sensitive content that may be traumatizing to some audiences. Listener discretion advised. It's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest is an adoptee rights advocate. She was born, adopted, and raised in the heart of Texas. She took agency about what she wanted to be called by name, and she settled on Akara Sky. Frustrated with not being heard and done with being polite, she writes to help heal the trauma of relinquishment. I met her in the Adoptee Voices writing group created by Sarah Easterly, in 2021. With a total of six cohorts under her belt, she has written and published four of her wonderful pieces in the Adoptive Voices e-zine. She agreed to bear her soul with us here and read her pieces. In this episode, she shares a part of her adoption story through her written words that paint a picture of pivotal moments of her childhood that are at times heartbreaking. I have developed a close relationship with Akara throughout 2022 that continues to grow and make me smile. She is doing a deep dive into the bigness of relinquishment, adoption, search, and reunion in an effort to heal from her pain. Allow me to introduce you to someone who is taking the enormous steps of no longer being silent. In so doing, she is helping other adoptees to do the same. I have been a witness to her saying yes to confidence and saying no to shame. Hi, Akara. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, and I'm so excited that you asked me to be on the show. I'm excited to have you on the show and that you did say yes and It's kind of been in the making for a while, which is fine. Uh, It's given me an opportunity to get to know you better. And uh, I know that, and I don't know if I told you this, I love your name, Akara Sky. How did you come up with that? Well, I have always struggled with my name. It never felt quite right. And I have changed it so many times and... It wasn't until that I came out of the fog just a few years ago that a name popped up in in my mind, and I ran with it. And so that's how um, I now use the name Cara Sky. Yeah, I think it's so empowering when adoptees choose a name. To me, names matter, and I know there have been a few adoptees that I know personally who have have taken the opportunity to to choose what they think their name should be. So I know you're a board member with AKA Adoption Knowledge Affiliates. I know you're a writer. I met you through the Adoptive Voices Writing Group. And 
I believe you're going to share pieces on this episode, and I'm really looking forward to that. And I know that you consider yourself a late discovery adoptee, even though you were still a child, a younger person. So wherever you want to start and however much you want to share, that would be great. Yes, of course. So on the domestic baby suit, closed adoption, a late discovery adopted person. I was 12 years old, and I had always been like this carefree girl and, you know, playing in the sandbox and life is good. And there was an episode on TV, and it was about a father who was raising his son. And the son was about my age, around 12. And so anyway, he comes home one day, and a classmate of his is hiding in his closet. And she is, like, hysterical. And he asks her, what's, what's going on? And she says, I found out I was adopted. And he really wasn't even familiar with that word. And she's telling him, my parents aren't my real parents. Uh, they have lied to me my entire life. I don't know what to do. I don't belong. And he's thinking that this is horrific. And he decides, well, I've got to make sure that I'm not adopted. So he goes to his dad. He says, Dad, am I adopted? And the father goes, oh, my gosh, honey, no. Why would you even think that? I'm your father and I love you. And I would never lie to you. So I pause for a moment and I go, wow, I better make sure that I'm not adopted. So I went to my mom and I said, mom, am I adopted? And there was just this long pause. And she said, yes. Yes, Mm -hmm. you are. Wow. Me for a loop. Yeah. I um, I ran, running from the room, and I'm crying, and you know, I'm running towards my bedroom, and my mom is running after me, and she grabs hold of me and turns me around, and she says, "I am your mother. I am the one raising you. I am the one that loves you, and we don't ever bring this up again, ever." Mm. <sighs> so. That would be the case, right? You didn't bring it up again. No, I did not. I was 40 years old when she died, and on her deathbed, I actually asked her, and I said, do you know anything, like, like from an adoption agency? or?" And, you know, she, she took it rather well. She said, um, I know you've always wanted to know this, but I don't know anything. I, I really don't. I don't know a thing. And I believed her. You know, why shouldn't I? And, you know, then fast forward another 20 years, and I come to find out that I do believe, well, I knew my entire story, and I do believe she even knew the name of my mother. So... You know, to defend my adoptive mother, I go, you know, she really loved me, which I, I know that she did, but 
But a friend of mine said, wow, if she really loved you, would she have lied to you about your identity? How did you feel about that question your friend asked you? It was, first I took it as she was insulting my mom and I was going to continue to defend her, but it gave me pause to reflect. You know, she's right. And it just really hurts. I just find it hurtful. Yeah, it does seem hurtful. It seems really hard. I think all of it for her to say, yes, you are at 12 years old and and then, like, you're not to speak a word of it. Would you say you had a happy childhood? I thought I did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I look back and I, and I think I did. There's some things that come into play now when I look back. And I think with being a late discovery adoptee, it's like I always feel that I'm the last to know. Mm-hmm. That... I am always being played the fool. What's coming up for me right now is I have said on the podcast, I think more than one occasion when um, talking with late discovery adoptees that it's usually someone other than the parents that tell the adoptee that they're adopted. It usually comes out like, through a family member. It just comes out in a, a way that's usually somewhat disrespectful or certainly not in a good way. And I've said it should be the parent, right? It should be the adoptive parent that tells the adoptee that they're adopted. And now I'm sitting with, I got to add something to that, right? It, it's... <laughs> Not only should it be the adoptive parent, but it should be in a way that is not dismissive, is not hurtful, because that's that's what happened in your experience. And, and it is heartbreaking the way that you learned and you were to be silent. You were actually silenced. So I got to add to that because I'm thinking an adoptive parent should know better, right? Should have compassion because it is a trauma. The relinquishment is a trauma. We have loss. We have grief. We have all of that. So this is an added trauma to not allow an adoptee to know that there's space for their feelings to be held. Like this is too sensitive to, to, disregard and and tell you not to talk about it anymore. So I'm really sorry that happened. And I know you are really dealing with this, really doing the work. And I know it's not been easy. So I just want to commend you. Thank you. It's taken me a long time before I thought about this I didn't ever describe myself as an adoptee. In fact, I can count on one hand how many people knew that I was. There was no point in saying it. it didn't mean anything. It didn't change who I was. And I just didn't see that it affected me at all. 
So you make a decision to get better connected with the adoption community because you, you weren't around adoptees growing up or adoptee support groups or writing groups or anything like that, kind of like me. You make that decision. When did that happen to get better connected? Well, you know, initially when all this was coming at me about being adopted and who were my parents, and I just, I felt so alone. I was misunderstood, and I was just so tired. I was, like, screaming. I felt like I was screaming on the corner, and no one was listening. And the few people that were, they would say, oh, what does it matter anyway? And you are who you are, and you came out just fine. It was just like daggers in my heart. And I would just think, well, maybe they're right. Maybe my feelings aren't valid, and that I did have a good upbringing, and I am a great person. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know where to take all of this. And I saw a Facebook post about a group that was going to be exploring their experiences as an adoptee, and they were going to you know, write a little bit about it. And I was brave enough to throw myself in there, and I was overwhelmed. It was the first time I'd ever talked to another adoptee and everything they were saying was exactly how I was feeling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the end, the end of it was that we were going to do a little short recorded piece for um, a trauma conference. So now I'm writing about trauma for a trauma conference and now I'm experiencing trauma because I have to do this. And at the end, I just, I told the facilitator, I said, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to present. I don't, I don't, I have nothing. I don't know. And she says, then write about that. Then write about how you don't know what to write about. <laughs> right. So I said, I, I love it. Okay, <laughs> that I can do. Right. And, um, you know, after that, I ran into support group, and I joined another writing group, which is the Adoptive Voices group with Sarah Easterly, and that's how I met you. And this space that y'all provide, it feels sacred. It feels safe. Mm -hmm. I can write about things and read them out loud. I don't have to explain. I don't have to worry about being judged. I can just say what I feel and it's, it's very freeing. And it's like every meeting now feels like I'm going over to a friend's house for a really nice dinner. <laughs> oh, what a nice compliment. And we, we're glad you're there. Thank you. And um, that kind of led me to support groups. And I, my first one was with AKA, which is Adoption and Knowledge Affiliates. And again, entering a space, that space was just so warm and comforting and people understood. And it was wonderful. And I got um, more and more involved with the organization and I was asked to serve on the board of directors, which 
I was just thrilled <laughs> with the invitation. Right. That's so a pretty, now, big, pretty big honor. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I don't, I'm usually very numbers oriented. Yes, no. X plus Y equals Z. And now I'm just fluid. And I'm just, let's just see where this goes. Mm -hmm. Which is very unlike me. So you're challenging yourself by joining the groups and and being a board member and yeah sounds like like real serious growth absolutely yeah and and um i am not in reunion with anybody my adoptive parents are dead my birth mother who i discovered through dna she's been dead for a long time and it turned out that my birth father, he was 84, he was still alive. And I um, went through the process of trying to um, connect with him, and it was a very painful experience, and I actually would like to share a piece that I wrote about that. Two weeks ago, my birth father died. His death should have come as no surprise. He was 86 and none of us lived forever. I found his obituary online through a random search I would do from time to time. If I hadn't seen it, I doubt I would have ever known he died. His family doesn't know my existence. The news swallowed me whole with grief and profound sadness, feeling everything, feeling nothing. How can I grieve over someone I never knew? Someone I had lost, I had found, and then lost again. Two years ago, through DNA, I discovered his identity and immediately searched for him online. He was a high-ranking politician and powerful attorney. He was 84 and very much alive. After long deliberation, I decided to contact him with a certified letter. I agonized over every word I wrote and every picture I enclosed. What if I say the wrong thing? What if he doesn't see his reflection in me? What if he thinks this is a scam? I was impatient for a loving response. Every day, I ran to the mailbox like a child running after an ice cream truck. I waited for that letter. Days turned into weeks, weeks into months. My inner child screamed loudly, I told you so. He wants nothing to do with you. You are not worthy of acknowledgement or love. He didn't want you then, and he doesn't want you now. A well-meaning friend assured me that my birth father just needed time to process and adjust, time to formulate the perfect heartfelt response. I needed to be gentle with him, as it may be a shocking surprise. A polite reminder that his life and his feelings were more important than mine. A year went by and COVID hit. I felt rattled and unhinged. The world was ending, we're all gonna die. 
It's now or never. My second attempt was with a phone call. I heard his voice for the first time, albeit an answering machine. Does his voice sound like mine? With a quivering childlike voice, I blurted out, hi, um, I am following up on a letter I sent you over a year ago. You can reach me at this number. I'd love to hear from you. And uh, this is your daughter. I hung up and wept. Once again, I waited. After several weeks, an attorney sent me an email which stated he was trying to reach me and that he had been hired to represent my supposed father and that I should call him in his office. I reeled with total disbelief that not only did my father refuse direct contact, but he decided to hide behind the cloak of the law. What was he afraid of? What did he have to hide? The next morning, I turned off all distractions, took a deep breath, and I called that attorney. His voice was gentle, but his words were fierce and unwavering. The dialogue had been carefully scripted to instill fear. He explained that my supposed father has an illustrious legacy and he wants to keep it that way. He also feared that his family would find out. He then passed along the official statement of he can neither confirm nor deny that he is your father. He wasn't aware of your existence. It's best that he continue to not know you in any capacity. Please refrain from any further contact. I was reduced to a little girl, gently tugging on her daddy's sleeves, longing for love and attention. Feeling the acute pain of being rejected and not worthy of being acknowledged, I muttered, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to upset him. I'll honor his decision. I had been shamed. I was made to believe that I was the one being unkind and thoughtless and that his integrity was more important than my emotions. I shirked into the corner, terrified that if I said or did anything more, he would come after me, sue me, have me arrested. I had been silenced and made no further contact. And now, 18 months later, he's dead. He no longer has the power to hold me as a dirty little secret. I am now no longer trapped under the weight of his intimidation, only the heaviness of losing someone I never knew. The someone whose obituary claims that he was a devout husband, a doting father and grandfather, a kind man whose family meant everything to him. Wow. I went through so many emotions listening to you read your words. And I think you, you end it in such a way that I, I feel a little relief. But I'm telling you, I was sad. I was angry. Like throughout um, you sharing that part of your story, it, it was... It was a lot. It was just a lot to know that you experienced that. You wrote that in the writing group? Yes. 
Yeah. yeah. How does it feel to have it like out of your head and, and maybe to a certain extent out of your like your body, your overall body? I do feel freedom. I do feel relief. I feel like this has really hurt me. It's hurt me so much. And to write about it and have people to listen to it and can understand it and hold empathy to me has meant everything. Yes. Yeah. That's a pretty hard pill to swallow. Like that type of rejection, you know, the the whole attorney part and and like you said, made to feel like you did something wrong when you didn't made to feel shame. Yeah. No, it's in all caps in my life. I actually have six sisters and two brothers. And I had people say, well, reach out to them. You know, you can have family with them. And I haven't. I'm terrified of it. Because if, if I get one more rejection, it's just, it's just too much. And the word family to me is, also, is very confusing. And who is my family? Like, I, I don't know them, my birth family. I don't, I don't know them. But my adoptive family, I didn't necessarily, I wasn't blood related. So where, where am I? Where, where am I in terms of a family? I can understand how you would be asking yourself that question. You know, I often think about fitting in versus belonging. And I, I get the sense that belonging, and this is really Brene Brown's work that has me asking this question on a regular basis because she says they're two different things, which I believe that to be true. And belonging suggests to me where you feel like you can just be yourself and you can just be a part of a group or just in relationship with one other person and there is room for you to not adapt so 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 to speak you know you don't have to put on or anything like that and oftentimes that's not going to be family uh, like blood family, you know, biological family, or even adoptive family. And so I'm always wondering, well, do I fit in here? Or do I belong? And I'm just interested in belonging now, you know, and, and I'm not interested in fitting in. And so, yeah, I feel like I, I can pick and choose. I have agency, right? Like you chose this new name, this beautiful new name that you can do the choosing. You're free to choose who's going to be family.
Well, Akara, I'm glad that we are able to get back together, you know, for the rest of our conversation. We recorded a week ago, the first part of it, and so I'm happy that we're able to wrap it up today. And I know you're in Arizona, and you're on Mountain Standard Time, so you're an hour behind me, so I apologize if I've gotten you up too early. (laughs) (laughs) I set my alarm, and we're good. (laughs) Wonderful. So I know that as a writer in the Adoptee Voices group, you, I think, were there, did you tell me, like, cohort two through seven? Something like that? Yeah, like, I was so glad to see you come back again and again. And what would you say has helped you? in the group the most? I think the generosity and understanding and compassion of the group has enabled me to say what I need to say and there's no judgment and I feel that it resonates with others and it's just allowed me to have a sacred space And I have grown through the different cohorts and have a different take on things. And I think my anger has softened a bit for Mm -hmm. having been adopted. Right. You know, recently I've been introduced to the work of Dr. Gabor Mate. And I recently heard him say that we adoptees repress our anger and then it does surface in adulthood. So I think if anybody thinks an adoptee, an adult adoptee is angry, (laughs) they might want to consider that we've repressed it for many, 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 many years in order to, to survive. That's an amazing insight because I had written a piece that says exactly that, that my anger appeared much later in life. Mm -hmm. Well, we were so happy to have you there. Your contribution was enormous for the facilitators as well as the other writers. So I just want to thank you for your participation. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, and so I'm happy to have you read your pieces. I I think they are all so powerful, and they describe a part of your journey so well. And so whichever one you want to start with, that would be great, too. As a child, Christmas was the ultimate celebration the feeling of overwhelming joy and anticipation, the enticing smells of gingerbread, peppermint, sugar cookies, snickerdoodles, hot cocoa, and buttered rum. My mom went to great lengths decorating the house, hand-stitched stockings, vintage glass ornaments, nativity scenes, snow globes, garlands, and wreaths, twinkling tinsel on the tree, along with blinking colored lights. My dad also enjoyed his own form of decorating, 
building the elaborate train set, which snaked around the tree. Picking the perfect Christmas tree, which in hindsight was never quite perfect, we hauled the heavy, much too large tree into the house, where once festively adorned, it took center stage in the cozy den. The warmth of the fireplace enveloped the holiday merriment and festivities. Christmas was full of amazement. That is, before I learned I was adopted. Looking back now, I wonder, had I missed the warning signs? More often than not, the red caboose got stuck in the fallen icicles that my dad had so carefully and painstakingly placed on the tree earlier that day. The tree whose prickly pine needles scratched my arms, producing painful red welts on my wintry pale skin, an allergic reaction to pine. I was not permitted in the den for any length of time due to those allergies. I was banished into the living room, which was in the front of the house, forever austere and cold. Except for me, no one spent time there at Christmas. The living room house, the shiny, sparkly silver aluminum tree, complete with rotating color wheel. The heavy faded curtains open to reveal to the neighbors the festive facade that was my Christmas. Rather than spend Christmas Eve banished in the cold living room, I went outside to hear the silence and feel the snow on my face. My fingers frosted over from building the ragged snowman without the nose. I returned inside and changed into my soft, well-washed flannel pajamas, complete with the fuzzy red socks. For a moment, I was allowed into the den. I sat in front of the crackling fire and draped my legs with my grandma's handmade quilt. The quilt was in its last years, ragged and torn, and smelled of cedar due to its storage throughout the year. Was I feeling the snugly comfort of love, affection, and belonging? It seemed fleeting. Where did my amazement at Christmas go? The age of 12, I made a jarring discovery that dramatically changed the trajectory of my life. I was adopted. Upon discovering this, I was frozen in time, paralyzed with shock and shame. My memories of any happy moments were tossed out along with my innocence. It was time for me to view everything with scrutiny under a different lens. The following Christmas, things remained the same on the outside, but were very different on the inside. The house was still adorned with all of the Christmas decorations, but that was nothing but a ritual to mask the lack of emotions and love. The glimmers of what I thought was love were charade. The true gift of Christmas and all its amazement was gone. Perhaps it was never there. I had fooled myself into believing I was a part of my adopted family. It was all a joke to everyone but me. My relatives must have thought how ridiculous it was to pretend she was part of the family. Embarrassed and ashamed, I eventually disengaged. 
a great gift to all parties involved. I didn't belong. Estranged from my adopted family and shunned by my birth family, I know full well that I will be alone. Even if there is an unexpected invitation from a friend to spend the holidays with them, I will decline. I would be spending hours on end listening to family stories, yet another family to which I do not belong. Remember when Billy got suspended? Remember when Ann Eileen forgot to thaw the turkey? It would be the familiar, miserable sense of an alien in foreign territory. And I would be only fleeing the evening as soon as possible. I avoid any activity that may bring up the ugly, distorted scenes of past Christmases. Society tells me that I should be grateful. Take what you can get. I am lucky. Trauma teaches me that I am unloved and discarded. It's been said you create your family. Does that include the way my adopted parents created theirs? I crawl into bed and wait for the holidays to pass. A never-ending dread. Santa Claus is dead. You express your sadness, profound sadness, so well in this piece. Yeah, thank you. Maricino Cherries at Church. Trigger warning, mention of childhood sexual molestation. My father was quite religious in an unassuming way and was dedicated to the Episcopal Church. My mother replicated his dedication so as not to disrupt the family dynamic. It was her place to support her husband, including his desire to adopt a baby, a girl specifically. In 1960, I was delivered to their doorstep. Four weeks old, four pounds, bald head taped with a pink bow. My mother feigned excuses to send me away. She's too small, she won't survive. But there was no return policy and I remained in the home of my elated father and my dismissive mother. My mother eventually warmed to me. I don't know why, when, or how, but eventually I felt her love. My father's love was always there, strong and protective. I was daddy's little girl. We attended church every Sunday. I sat in the middle of the front seat in the car, my mother to the left driving, my father to the right. Cool air blew through the vent into my face, along with the cigarette smoke from my father. My father smoked incessantly. I can't say it bothered me, I just remember it. I also remember my father's death an excruciatingly painful end from lung cancer. My father died at a young age. I was a mere child. Afterwards, material gifts from my mother became more bountiful, as if to make up for not having a father, the parent who wanted me. Prior to his death, my hometown grew, and so did the parishioners at the church. It was decided a second Episcopal church should be formed. My father had been instrumental in making this come to fruition, raising funds, acquiring land, and laboring over construction. 
During that time, the church services were held in a makeshift house, the inside adorned with paintings of the saints created by my father. The minister donned the intricately detailed cross my father had made with silver from his dental practice, which was used to fill cavities. Sunday school was held in the bar of a nearby hotel. We listened to Bible stories while sneaking maraschino cherries hidden behind the counter. I didn't see my family as church going. Religion wasn't forced, just expected. I received my prayer book at age six, my name etched in gold. When I was nine, I came home from school to find a stranger who explained that my mother wasn't home but was expected to return later. I played in my room until my mom came home. She held me by my shoulders. Your father is dead. I'm leaving for St. Louis tomorrow for his funeral. You will not be coming with me. You will stay with your godparents. I said nothing. She said nothing more. I fled to my bedroom. No one came to offer comfort or conversation. When I woke up the next day, she was gone. I was awarded a day off from school, not exactly a fair trade. I was ushered off to family friends and treated to lunch at the Blue Bonnet Cafe. I was promptly discarded at the house of my godparents, my mind frantically replaying the incident of when my godfather sexually molested me two years earlier. In less than 24 hours, my father had died, my mother was gone, and I was living with a sexual predator. I had been abandoned. I felt fear, shock. Would my mom return? What would happen to me if she didn't? If I ran away, where would I go? Am I worthy of a protector? I hadn't even had time to process questions from the night before. Why would my dad leave me? Why didn't he fight to stay alive? Why didn't he tell me he was dying? Why didn't he say goodbye? I questioned if I was worthy of love. I thought I was a terrible daughter. All the emotions of a child, all the truths of adoptees. Though at the time, I didn't know I was adopted. As if my godmother knew about her husband's predatory inclinations, she slept next to me during my stay, although it didn't alleviate my panic. She made me memorize the Lord's Prayer, which I recited to mom when she finally returned. Mom, the parent who didn't want me, who tried to turn me away, and now I was her responsibility. We continued to attend church, but it felt more like an obligation. I felt incredible guilt over my father's death. Above the altar, Jesus was nailed to an imposing cross. He sent lightning bolts of grim discourse toward me, scorching my skin. You killed him. It is all your fault. You must be punished. I passed out, fell to the floor and everything went dark. This happened several more times. More embarrassed than anything, mom took me to a doctor. He pondered that perhaps I locked my knees when standing, which cut off my circulation. Eventually, 
A disconnect grew between the church and my mother. The minister asked if he could stop by. My mom thought it was a call of condolence. Upon arrival, he was ushered into the living room, which was only utilized for company or special occasions. His motive was not to offer solace, but to ensure that my father's generous monetary contributions would continue. My mother threw him out of the house. We never went to the church my father built again. And although Jesus was no longer in front of me, God was everywhere condemning me. Perhaps one day, the load of condemnation will lighten. The taste for maraschino cherries will return and my father's forgiveness will come. That is such a deeply personal piece and I just thank you so much for sharing it. A lot of pain and yet you're still here. I'm just glad to know you, and I'm glad that you have the willingness to share a part of your story through your pieces. Yes, and thank you so much for allowing me the time to read read them. That last one was, was a tough read for me. Yes, and it's heartbreaking to know what you've experienced in childhood. Yes, I'm sorry that that happened. Yes, it's hard. I will say that line where you say, I can't say it bothered me. I just remember it about your father smoking. (laughs) It reminded me of my dad. He just always had a cigarette in his mouth. And that line reminded me of my dad. I can't say it bothered me, but I do remember it. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) The colors of my adoption. Soft pink, the color of the societal politeness of adoption, a newborn baby with a blank slate to shape and mold and to grow up to look just like her mother. I was a baby girl described in pink perfection. My demeanor is sweet like strawberry lemonade skin soft like cotton candy, eyes sparkling like pink champagne. I was delivered to the doorstep by a glorious feathered pink stork, a cute pink bow taped to my head. I grew up to be the girl in a pink cashmere cardigan, which prompted her godmother to say pink is her color, blinding white, the color of the promise of hope. The hope my parents had that I would fill the void in a cold, loveless marriage. Hope that I would erase the shame of not being able to have additional children. Hope that I would provide redemption for the disappointment of their first daughter, the real biological one. I was their do-over daughter, carrying the heavy weight of being perfect in every way. Autumn orange the color of my father's fierce protection. It surrounded me with a warm, safe cocoon, a shelter against the storm. In my family, he loved me the most. He died when I was nine, and the devastation of losing him propelled me into an unfathomable grief. It wasn't until I was 12 that I found out I was adopted. I realized that even he, my proud protector, 
had lied to me. Sinister green, the color of my sister's jealousy, the outrage of being replaced by a girl who wasn't even their real daughter. The emotion that defined our relationship from the minute I appeared at the doorstep. She found someone who needed to pay for this affront and that someone was me. We had our last confrontation soon after our mother died. I found her in the house, combing through the family treasures left behind. Jewelry passed down from the ages, quilts of our great-grandmother from the 1800s, family photos, our father's beloved stamp collection. She explained that it was important to keep those items within the family. The devastating blow, which meant the family, the only one I knew, the one I was not a part of. Glaring red, the color of my anger. It appeared much later in life. I had carried the lie of pink. You know, that piece just really does so much to me. And the last three sentences, I just think, <laughs> are the, the best. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I appreciate your feedback because there are times when I look back on my writing and I go, that wasn't so good. That's really weak. And then you offer your wisdom and say, no, it was wonderful. And I'm like, yeah, it kind of was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I appreciate it so much. Well, you're welcome. I know that our inner critic can be so devastating, you know, like really beat us up. So, yeah. I just appreciate this time we had together and all the times we've had together, even though we weren't recording. I just enjoy your company. I enjoy listening to you and your perspective and and your willingness to be on here because I know it's no small feat to be you know, open and public and honest. It is emotional labor each and every time we share just a part of our journey as adoptees. So I guess my final question for you, is there anything I didn't ask you that you want to share? I think my journey is to be labeled to be continued. The emotions that I feel on one day can be so different than another. And one day I think, you know what? I'm fine. I'm good. Like, I've, I've got this under control. And the next day, not so much. So I would just say, you know, be continued. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah, same here. And back to Dr. Mate. He said, um, the triggers, the, the things that trigger us or activate us, it's like welcome it because it just lets you know where you are and to get to know yourself better. So I've been sitting with that. And as we know, as adoptees, there are quite a few things that activate or trigger us. And, and so it just let, lets us know, like you said, to be continued. Thank you so much for having this conversation with me. I've absolutely, absolutely enjoyed it. Thank you. In this episode, I mentioned Dr. Gabor 
Mate, twice during my conversation with Akara, because what I've come to recently learn about his work is why some adoptees, well into adulthood, have anger and what we can do about it. In the show notes, I have included a link to his conversation with adoptee Zara Phillips and invite you to watch the YouTube video. The last three sentences in Akara's piece entitled The Colors of My Adoption says it best for me. Glaring red, the color of my anger. It appeared much later in life. I carry the lie of pink. Quote, unquote. I believe it is through an adoptee's pieces that a gift is extended to others to put words to their feelings of loss and grief. Akara had a very special and beautiful relationship with her adoptive father that was cut short at the age of nine years old. At times, I found myself remembering the joy of my adoptive father's love for me and that I often think about since his death many years ago. As adoptees, we can and do hold on to good memories, great memories even, for as long as we choose. I felt sadness for her loss at such a young age, along with all the other tragic experiences she endured then and over the next three years. Sharing the painful past was difficult, yet she got through it in the hopes of her vulnerability being a gift to us. Each time we are vulnerable, there is potential for our growth and healing. Thank you, Akara, for having this conversation with me. I have no doubt that you will continue to get stronger, more confident, and fierce through your words. I always look forward to hearing from you and watching your growth because you've identified your worth. You are free to choose your name, free to choose what you'll do next, and free to choose whatever else your heart desires. If you are an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, please visit JenniferDianeGhoston.com. Thank you so much for being here.